Welcome to Real Faith. I'm your host, Robbie Morgan, and this is my beautiful co-host, Katie. How are you going today, Katie? Fantastic. Good afternoon, everyone. We're so glad that you guys could be here. Man, it's such a beautiful day out, isn't it? It's lovely. And all of you out there who are driving right now are thinking, no, you're wrong, Robbie. You're totally wrong. It started off nice, but it's been raining all day. Well, it's not too bad. I can see a little bit of sunshine coming through the clouds where we are outside the window here, so you can always find something right when you look out for it. That's exactly right. I was out this morning for a walk at the beach and I just thought, man, it was so gorgeous. I got up early. I thought I'd go see the sunrise. Beautiful. And then by the time I got home, it was drizzling and miserable. But the thing to remember is there is no such thing as bad weather, just bad clothes. So if you got the right stuff on, you'll be okay. That's right. (laughs) That's right. So today we've got an awesome show set up for you today. I'm super excited. We're going to have our testify time happening. And during that time, we've got a friend of ours coming in whose name is also Caitlin. That's right, but now, not this Caitlin. That's exactly right. So now, now, Katie, you you have known Caitlin for quite some time, haven't you? I have. I um, yeah, I met Caitlin when I was in primary school, so quite some time ago. I met her when she moved out to Australia. I won't share too much about her, but I met her through church. Super so, exciting. So yeah. we're going to hear a bit of a, a bit of her story today mm. and how she went from living a life. Well, a pretty wild life as a young woman and went from a life of brokenness and substance use and some other details that we'll leave undisclosed for this part of the portion and just how she encountered Jesus and what that what difference that has made in her life. I'm really excited about this because this is someone that um, he's a couple of years younger than me and I've been able to watch grow up and we've even worked together. We, um, When we both finished school, we had employment in the same place and so I'm really excited to be able to hear what she's got to share with us. Awesome. It's going to be a great time. Now, we're also going to be looking at the next part of our Encounter Jesus series. And today we're going to be looking at a couple of people. That's Who right. Who are we looking at? I want to hear. Oh, so here's the thing. We're, we're not going to be just looking at one person this not time. Not one? How but, many? But two. two. But two. So we're going to look at a dual Jesus encounter. That's right. Awesome. A two for one special. Great. And we're going to be looking at the stories of how Jesus entered a town called Jericho and he... Mm met two people, two different men, and those men were blind Bartimaeus, who was a poor man, an oppressed man, and how Jesus also met a man named Zacchaeus, who was a wealthy man, who was a tax collector, and how Jesus encountered these people and transformed radically their lives. So we're super excited to share that with you today. We'll be following along with that story. Now, here's a quick question for you. Have you ever asked the question, well, you know, how does, does Jesus have an impact on the lives of both the rich and the poor? Yeah, true. That's a great question. It's a huge question because in my experience working in ministry, it seems that often people think you can reach the poor, but you can't reach the rich or vice versa. So we're going to get a little bit into that today, and we're going to enjoy that as we encounter Jesus. This is Lauren Daigle, Power to Redeem. You take what is. With 
child of God Lift your eyes to see With every morning light Again we are redeemed Rejoice, no child was Lauren Daigle and Power to Redeem. Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Katie. And we've just now come to the portion of our show where we are going to talk about some weird and wonderful things about the world. And I'm super excited because this is a part of the show that I pretty much have no idea about. And it's so it's always exciting for me. So what do you have for us today, Katie? What is weird and wonderful about the world? That's a great question. So I love this segment as well because it's just... That's good, because you're in charge. That, that's exactly right. <laughs> so you'd hope I would enjoy it. But yeah, I just think our, our us as humans and creation around us, there's just so many amazing, incredible things that God has created. And it's great to find out some unique facts about yeah the world around us. And so this afternoon, Robbie doesn't actually know what I've been researching and looking into today, but... Um, I'm going to share about something that I think, Robbie, you're going to particularly like. Oh, good. Oh, good. You know me pretty well. I do know you pretty well. You are my husband. I would hope so. So I'm going to share something that I know you have a particular interest in and you're often talking about or you often come <laughs> home from a walk out the beach and you are looking at... Um, you often come to a book that you read about, and it is a birding book. Ooh, so, exciting. Yes, maybe not a bird that you have seen or read up about recently, but we are going to look at a particular species of bird. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay, do it, do it. Is that okay? No. No? <laughs> <laughs> what is, I'm going to quiz you and see if you know, do you know what the smallest species of bird is? Uh, have a guess. I am not a, I'm not an avid bird watcher. I've I've only just recently that's gotten true, taken true. An, taken an interest in this, but I'm going to guess that it's a type of hummingbird. That's right, absolutely. So um, one of the smallest is known as a bee hummingbird, which is found in Cuba. And this little is it like the size of the bee? Uh, it it well it's about two inches in length. Okay, so it's so a little bit bigger it's than a bee. Definitely a bit, bigger, but it's pretty small. Two I've seen inches wasps in that, small, that long. Now, did you know there's over 200 species of what? hummingbirds? So there's all sorts. They're so cool. And what I found really interesting about this bird is it's the only bird that can fly backwards. Really? Yes. I didn't know they were the only one, but 
Yeah, you know, growing up in in Southern California, I used to visit my wow, my great grandparents who lived in Northern California near Yosemite National Park, and we mm. used to see hummingbirds whenever we visited. And man, they're fascinating creatures. They're like they're like a little living helicopter. Yeah, they're so quick and they buzz around. They yeah, so they're the only bird that can go backwards. They wow, can go sideways. Impressive. And as you, if you've ever seen any documentaries or seen them in person, you'll notice when they're getting nectar, they'll actually just hover in the one spot while they're collecting their their nectar from a flower. Um, so they're quite unique in that sense. Um, and they can hover in the air still for up to. 30 seconds, which is quite unique to the hummingbird by flapping their arms so rapidly. Now, how do they, do you know how they get their, get the the nectar out of the flowers? Do they use their tongue? Do they use their beak? That's a great question. For quite some time, um, people have often thought it was through their beak that they sucked it out because it got such a long beak. But um, more recently, scientists have been able to discover that they have a small, thin tongue that actually sticks out and it's also very narrow and it's able to get the, um, the pollen from, from the flower. And wow, the that's amazing. That's awesome. So it's very really, cool. really neat. Um, and it's a fairly clear, like see-through almost looking tongue that they have. So That's pretty cool. It, you can miss it if you haven't got your eyes open. So um, it's really neat. Now, and, while I'm thinking about this, you know, I, I know some of you are probably thinking birding. That's a bit geeky. And well... Maybe it is. I don't know. But I, I think it's been pretty exciting. Just recently, mm. I went out and I was, I was trying to identify what this bird was. I saw this big white bird of prey out at the beach. And I was like, I think, I think it's a sea eagle. And I got this birding book out and was able to identify, it, narrow it down to one of two things. Yeah. Isn't it amazing that when you can identify something for yourself, something that wasn't very interesting to you, the fact that you're learning something new and you're able to have some sense of mastery yeah. makes it enjoyable. Oh, absolutely. Isn't that an amazing thing that God has done that give us the ability to actually enjoy learning? Absolutely. It's, it's just incredible. It's fascinating just how unique so many different things are, species and birds alike. Um, and something else that I found really fascinating about the birds, so they can beat their wings depending on the species up to get this 12 to 90 times per second. Wow, that's, that's faster than which a punk rock like, song. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it is super rapid, which also means that they use up exorbitant amounts of energy. Yeah, they would do. From doing this. Now, um, yeah, they've actually got, which is quite incredible as well, the ability to, um, when they haven't maybe got food nearby or um, at nighttime, they can actually reduce their heartbeat so that they're not using as much energy up. Wow, so they actually just, there's, there's a name for that, I can't remember what it's called, but it's, they're slowing their, their metabolic rate, Pretty, aren't they? Exactly, that's exactly right. And they can actually slow themselves down, wow. Yeah, because um, according so to- So they do that like intentionally? Yeah, well, and the, according to the research I was looking at, um, they can have their heart reach up to 1200 beats per minute and they can reduce it to a tenth of that. So hummingbirds are just incredible. There's so many amazing things about them. We've only been able to share just a few. So weird, wonderful, and wacky our world is. We want to invite you to continue to look out at the world around you and just be amazed by what God has created, not just hummingbirds, but all species, all creation alike. Over to you, Robbie. Man, it's just, it is such a wonderful and and. Yeah, weird. It is weird. It's a weird world. But God has created so many beautiful things. If we're just willing to go out there and look, we can learn so many lessons from the natural world. Blessed are the poor, for the kingdom is yours. Blessed when you mourn, there's kind. 
Listen when it's righteousness that you seek is beautiful Beautiful like a city on a hill Back to Real Faith. I'm Robbie Morgan, and we've now got the portion of the of our of our radio show where we're going to do testify. So we've got Caitlin in the studio here to share some of her story. Say hi, Caitlin. Hello. So just tell us where where are you from, Caitlin? I am from Newcastle. Um, awesome. So you grew up in Newcastle. Where did you grow up? I well, I grew up in South Africa and then moved to Australia when I was ten and have kind of grown up on the central coast fantastic well now it was a bit i was a bit tricky there because i actually know where you grew up because well i've known you for well, i don't know how many years probably eight years awesome so i'm yeah. super excited to hear a bit more about your story today and um basically we're going to split this up into three sections and um, i might ask some questions as you go but feel free to just take license to tell us about your story and the first part i'd like to know is what was life like for you before you encountered jesus 
Um, it was it was good, um, but it was it was really tough. I was brought up in a Adventist home, um, and I was really blessed by that. I guess my family. Um, yeah, they they taught me about the faith, and I always like as I was younger, I had a really strong faith and belief in Jesus, but never really had my own personal relationship with Him. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of people who are listening who might have had that kind of experience, right? Lots of people grow up in a Christian environment, but perhaps it's been a ritual or a form or a family faith, but not a personal faith. Yeah, definitely. So I... how did that change for you? Oh, sorry, I interrupted you. <laughs> um, how did it change? I guess I had to find my own way through life, and that went through ups and downs um, in my journey with God um, over the years. And it led me quite a way, a far away from the church before I landed up coming back again. Okay, so tell us a bit more about that. What was it like for you, this, this going away from the church experience? Um, well, growing up, I, I always had a lot of pressure put on me. My family is very uh, strict and they have very high expectations. And I translated that into my relationship with God. And so I was always trying to live up to God's expectations and trying to be 100% for Him. But I always fell short and mm. I always thought that I was failing. And eventually um, I got into a relationship that uh, with an Adventist guy, actually. And he landed up taking me so far away from God and the church. Um, and through that, I, when I left that relationship, I just thought, well, I'm free and I'm just going to do whatever I want. And I basically just turned to drugs and alcohol. I was going out, traveling, partying with friends. Um, I landed up getting kind of tricked into becoming a topless waitress and was kind of stuck there for just over six months of my life before... Um, deciding to give God another chance. Yeah, wow. That's, you know, that's so relatable to so many people, hey. You know, going through this experience of brokenness. So, so you went through that experience, you came to a place where where you found that these things obviously weren't fulfilling. And where did Jesus step in? How did how did that how did that take place? Well, I I I just always thought that I would never I guess be good enough and that God would never save me and I decided to give God one more shot because a couple of friends in my life had kept they I don't know they kept talking to me kept encouraging me um, basically I decided at one point that I was going to give this program called Arise a go um, and then and what's that just for people's knowledge so it's like a disciple training yeah Okay, so like a Bible college for, well, a place where you go to learn more about Jesus and you learn how to share share about Jesus. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And some friends of mine had gone and they'd told me about it. Um, and I wasn't initially, before all of this stuff in my life had happened, it was really appealing to me. But after that, I was quite nervous to go. Um, but people just kept bringing it up to me. And I took that as kind of like a sign from God that maybe I should give it a go um, and I'd been going in such a different path in my life I thought well if I don't do this now I'm never going back to God and never going back to the church so it was crunch time for you Pretty this much. was like this was the big decision yeah 
So how did you? So how did that go? What What was it about that experience where where you met Jesus? Where that that shift, that turning point took place? Well, the course in itself was was really good and was really helpful, um, and the environment that I was in definitely helped. But it wasn't about what I was being taught there or um, necessarily the new things that I was learning, but I made a decision probably about two weeks into the course to start doing devotions daily and reading the Bible myself. And as I was going through that and praying every day and spending like hours in the Bible, I just found a love for God and actually developed a personal relationship with Jesus that I'd never had before. And people had always talked about their relationship with Jesus and I never knew what that was like until I actually found it for myself. Oh, it's so powerful. Because when, you know, it's, it, we've been actually talking about these personal encounters with Jesus on the radio show over the last couple of weeks. And over and over again, it's the people's personal encounter with Jesus. It's not, it's not hearing about him from someone else. It's the personal encounter that's actually transformational. Yeah, that's awesome. So you met Jesus. I was actually working at Arise when you were there. It was a real blessing to to see you on that journey. And there were so many things about your past that I didn't know, even though I had attended church with you during that time of your life. You know, so we all have our ability to kind of keep secrets, don't we? Yes, definitely. And I remember seeing you come through that time. So you came out with this experience of loving Jesus and it changed your view of yourself, didn't it? Yeah, definitely. 100%. I definitely found my worth in Christ rather than in other things of the world. Yeah. Oh man. So here's a, here the, you know, amen. That's, that's so beautiful, Caitlin. And I'm so, so stoked to have, have you here to share your story. So the, I, I want to shift gears a little bit here and I want to ask, so how has that impacted your life from then? So you, began to do devotions, you began to have a personal walk with Jesus, where did God take you from there? Well, I landed up being re-baptized. Um, I'd been baptized a couple of years before, but still didn't have that personal relationship with God. Um, so I got re-baptized, and then I decided to do Arise for Life and started Bible working in Hamilton. So for those that might not be aware, that means that she was involved in a type of personal evangelism ministry and she was going you were knocking on doors and finding people who wanted to learn about jesus and working with them to lead them to jesus yeah and i did that for i think five months before being offered a job here in the conference in the youth department so you've actually gone like full full swing on the spectrum you're now involved in working with youth ministry to actually try and lead other people to jesus you, you've gone fully through that journey so let me ask you another question. So what's it like on the day-to-day? -day? And just in, just in brief, like how, how do you maintain that walk with Jesus? Um, well, I just try and do my devotions um, in the mornings or in the evenings if I don't get a chance. Um, just make, making that personal time for God. Um, being involved in the ministry really helps. Like through my role here, I've been able to be involved in summer camps and youth camps and big camps and preaching in other countries and stuff like that. And that's been really, really helpful. That's awesome. So if I were to sum that up, it sounds to me like God has done this huge work in your life and you've gone from looking for your value in other things to finding it in Jesus. And that the actual personal encounter with Jesus has led you to want to share that with others. And that that, that sharing with others has actually benefited you as well. Yeah, Thank definitely. you so much for your story, Caitlin. We're so glad to have you. 
You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Welcome back to Real Faith. I'm Robbie Morgan, and this is my co-host, Katie. Hello. Man, it was so powerful to just hear mm. some of Caitlin's story, hey? Beautiful, yeah. It's such a powerful story. You know, that it, it really caught my attention to think about the fact that actually both of us mm. were attending a church where, where Caitlin was for a good portion of that time. In fact, I think the entire duration of that experience, at least one of us was involved yeah. with, with her life at that time. And it's amazing to me just how we're, we're so good at keeping what's going on that is not going so good in our life away from people. Some of us are, you know, True. not some of us, all of us are pretty practiced at keeping up a, a good cover when we have hurts. Yeah. And it's just a reminder that, you know, we don't really know what's going on behind the scenes with people all the time. And what a powerful testimony that God was able to bring her from that place to where she is and now. And I, I love the power of actually sharing and of testimony because it means that what was, you know, maybe a difficulty in our life that we've kept hidden, we can actually share when God has redeemed us to be able to share and to help other people and to testify of God's goodness in our lives. So I just, yeah, I find it powerful to be able to share stories. It's beautiful. It's awesome. Hey, well, we're going to now shift gears and we're going to get into our Bible study for the day. And we're going to look at two characters in scripture who encountered Jesus, much like Caitlin encountered Jesus. And we all have the opportunity to do so in our lives. We're going to jump right into the story. Now we're going to be opening up to Luke chapter 18, verse 35, Luke chapter 18, verse 35 to start this story. But I just want to do a little bit of context here because I think this is really going to set the stage for the rest of this story. Set the stage for us. So just prior to this event, Jesus is about to walk into a town called Jericho. Now, before he had made this journey, he had actually had an encounter that's often referred to by many people as the rich young ruler. He encountered this young man who was very wealthy and who seemed to be a leader in the Jewish circles. And in this encounter that he had with Jesus, there was an interaction, a discourse between Jesus and the rich young ruler in which Jesus basically said, hey, look, if you want to be rich in the kingdom of heaven, just give up all your things and come follow me. And at this point in the story, this man who had so many things, he had everything together, he was living a, a spiritual life, he was following God. When Jesus said to him, hey, if you really want to have riches and be, be rich in heaven, he said, come follow me, give up all your, your goods, give them to the poor, and then come and follow me. How does he respond to that? And he responds by saying, Well, it tells us that he goes away sorrowful because he Mm. was very rich, right? Wow. And then what happens is there's an interaction where Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, how hard it is for those who are rich to enter the kingdom of God. And then he says something audacious, audacious, excuse me. What is it? And he says, he says, oh my goodness. He says this. He says, it's harder for, it's easier for a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. To which, of course, his disciples go, well, dude, like who, who in the world can be there? saved, right? Yeah, absolutely. Great and then question. Jesus says this amazing line, and he says, he says, with the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. And that's Beautiful. how that story ends, right? Mm. So this story that leads up to where we're coming starts with a rich man who walks away from the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, oh, it's so hard for the rich to be saved. And I want you to just keep that in the back of your mind, 
that he also says it's not impossible with God. What's impossible with man is not impossible with God. Absolutely. I think you've snuck in an extra person into that study. I think I did. We almost that. got three in there, but I, we didn't read it. So it's, we're going to count it as a, do, a duo. Sounds good. Sounds All right. Good. So we're going to start off in Luke chapter 18, 35, and we'll get you, Katie, to read the first, uh, let's, let's read through the first five verses, so 35 through 39. No worries. Okay, so this is Luke 18, reading from verse 35. Then it happened as he, speaking of Jesus, was coming near Jericho that a blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Awesome. Okay, so where is he going? He's heading to Jericho. Okay, now Jericho, if you're not familiar with it, is, an, is a significant city in the Bible. It is, what, yeah. what can you tell me about Jericho? What comes to your mind? What can you remember? I remember Jericho came to a complete collapse. It That's right. It fell down after the Israelites marched and marched and marched around the building. That's exactly right. So God had, when the Israelites were, were called to go into the land of Canaan in mm. the Old Testament, the first place that they came against was this Jericho. town of Jericho. And God had them do a very strange thing to defeat the city, march around it, Every day. Yeah. And then on the seventh day, march around it seven times and blow the trumpet and shout and the walls will fall down. And that's just, Literally we know that that's what happened. What happened. That's yeah. right. And historically, we know that the, the walls of Jericho have collapsed. The archaeologists have been able to identify that. Yeah. Did you know that Jericho is also the first town that we have historically to have built a wall around its city? I wasn't aware of that Isn't fact. that there interesting? So this is, this is fascinating information. It was one of the first... Uh, metropolis, as you might say, yeah. historically. Wow. Later on in this time, it would it had been rebuilt, mm. clearly, because the walls had been broken down, broken but it was down. rebuilt. And in this time, it was about about <clears throat> about a mile south of where it used to be, Okay, about 25 kilometers away from Jerusalem. So here comes Jesus, and he's walking in towards Jericho. And what does he see? He's, well, there's a crowd following him, but there's a, there's a lame man. Blind man. Blind man, sorry. Yeah. So you got a blind man. They call him Bartimaeus in the other mm. Gospels. And so here's blind Bartimaeus, and he cries out to Jesus because he's, he's there. And, you know, if, you've, if you ever have had friends who have had visual impairments, you'll know that their hearing is often quite heightened. They, they hear things yeah. that you don't because that sense is being used so much that it's, it's like it's stronger, you know what I mean? Mm. And so he hears them talking about Jesus of Nazareth, and somehow the word has gotten to Jericho, and he knows something of this Jesus. And we know that he knows something of Jesus because he calls him something very particular. What does he call him? He says, Jesus, son, son of, of David. Son of David. Okay. Do you know why that's significant? You share with us. Why is it significant? Okay. So David was the, the king of Israel, the greatest king of Israel, perhaps. And David had been promised by God that he would have a successor on the throne for eternity. Absolutely. Yeah, true. So we know that this was a messianic title. Mm. It was a title pointing forward to this figure, the Messiah, that would, come that would be God in the flesh that would come to save humanity. In fact, in the book of Matthew, chapter one, verse one, it says, the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so this blind man who's begging on the side of the road, he hears that Jesus is coming and he calls him something that not everyone does. He says, Jesus, son of David, 
have mercy on me. Mm. And isn't that amazing that he recognizes when he calls on Jesus, he's not saying, hey, you're just some dude who has some weird power that can heal me. He says, hey, you are the Messiah. Yeah. He recognizes you're the one we have been waiting for to set us free from our bondage. Yeah. Awesome, hey. It's incredible. Now, here's a question. So, so he's gone into this situation. He's called out. But what do the people do? They try to shut him down. They try to shut him down. That's exactly right. So, all right, just stop talking, blind Bartimaeus. You're here. You're doing your thing. You're doing your begging. We get that. You know, there's no center link. This is what you've got to do to make a living, to get a crust, to get some food. But just, just stop right now. Yeah. You're not in a position of worthiness to talk to Jesus. That's the message that's being communicated. Yeah, that's what I'm reading it as. And so he... He doesn't shut down. This is amazing. He doesn't just shut down. What does he do? He goes. He cries out louder. He cries out louder. Even and if louder. you are in a position where you need help and you really recognize it, there ain't nobody who's going to stop you from mm. getting that help. I remember a, a number of years ago, I was, I, was, I was teaching a lady to drive. She was a lovely lady from Mauritius. And she used to come to me and she would call me Morgan, my last name. Go, Morgan, will you teach me to drive this week? And I'd always be like, oh, Oh man, I'm I'm busy this week. And yeah. she'd be like, "Well, what about next week? What about next?" And she would follow me up because yeah. she needed the help. Yeah. And so here's this man; he needs the help, and he says, "All right, I'm going to get help." The people try and shut him down, and he calls out louder. So let's keep reading. How does Jesus respond? Okay, reading from verse 40. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, "What do you want me to do for you?" He said, Lord, that I may receive sight. Then Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Such a powerful point. Mm. Such a powerful story. So what happens? Let's get, like Jesus does what? Yeah, so Jesus actually calls him to himself. He responds firstly to the man, but he responds in a very positive way, calling him to himself. And he asks him, what do you want me for? You're calling me. What do you want me for? And yeah, he asks, may I receive my sight? That's it. Yeah. Now check this out. So what are the people doing? They're trying to shut him down. They're trying to quiet him. That's right. So, so here's a man who's a victim, right? Mm. Think about this. He's a victim of his circumstance. We don't know why he's blind, but if you're blind in this context, there's no Centerlink. Yeah. There's no there's no Medicare, there's no glasses. Mm-hmm. There's no way to to address this physical impairment. He's he's got no ability to earn a wage. Yeah. He's got no ability to do anything Helpless. that's that's really putting him in a good position. So he's he's a victim of his circumstance, right? For sure. But he's also a victim of the crowd, isn't he? Yeah. It's interesting because in this culture, uh, people who were maybe born with blindness or deafness, people thought like maybe their parents had done something wrong or there was some kind of a curse upon them from God because of their deformity or their disability. Um, But we see, you know, and that's one of the reasons why they would have been casting him out, quieting him away from Jesus. But Jesus doesn't let that take place. That's right. Jesus is in the business of giving a hand up yes. to the oppressed. Absolutely. Not just a hand out, but a way out of that position, a way into life, yeah. a way into wholeness mm-hmm. and reparation. I love this. I love this. Jesus has a heart for the oppressed. 
And I know that that resonates with me. And I know that that would resonate with you, Katie, Absolutely. because you have such a heart for the oppressed. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you didn't get into social work because of anything other than that reason. You, know? mm. you have a heart for these people. And so does Jesus. And so Jesus comes up to him and he, I love this. He says he commands him to come to him. But not just commands him. He actually commanded the people to bring him to yeah, him. Yeah, the very people that were probably telling him to be quiet or try and you know, push him aside are the ones that Jesus uses. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I love it. He says, hey, you've been trying to keep this man from me. You go get him. Yeah. And the people listen. And so they go and they get the man. They bring him to him and Jesus makes him well. And the main point that I want to draw out of this mm. is what I've said. Jesus is in the business of rescuing the oppressed. Absolutely. Isn't it good to know that that is the character and the nature of God? I love as well, like just seeing this, Jesus actually wants to use us to bring people to him. Um, he used the crowd to do that, even though their maybe their motives initially were not positive. And I'm just reminded of times in my life where I remember um, a number of years ago, a, f a girl that I had met who was fairly new to faith and um, God was just putting on my heart, you should ask her if she wants to study the Bible. You should ask her if, you want to, if she wants to study the Bible. And I just put it off and I was like, no, I don't, I don't actually think she's that interested. And then, you know, a month or so later, she comes asking me for Bible studies. Mm. And I was just like, you know what? I don't, you know, see as God sees. And, you know, God was actually wanting to use me there. And praise God he did. But um, he often, you know, we're a bit slow to respond to how God wants to use us. But, Yeah. That's a good point. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. Now check this out. The last thing that he says here is it says that Jesus said, receive your sight. But what else did he say? He said, your faith has made you well. Now here's a question. What is Jesus talking about here? What role does a person's faith have in their own healing? Well, we see it has some kind of a role. That's right. Now, now I'm not here in any way supporting this idea of the prosperity gospel that if God hasn't answered your prayers, then it's, it's because you haven't had enough faith and that we should rebuke people because of that. That's ridiculous. Mm. But the reality is that faith is a necessary thing for God to be able to work with. Absolutely. You know, the Bible tells us that you, in order to be rewarded by God or blessed by God, you have to believe that he is, yeah. that he exists and that he gives good things and he is faithful to those who who follow him. Yeah. And so this is a really important point. And it's contrasted by, by Jesus going to his own town in Matthew 13, for example. And when Jesus went to his own town, it says that he, he managed to heal a couple people, but it says that he couldn't do any mighty works because there was not anyone there who had enough faith. Nice. And it's not talking about just people who didn't have enough faith so God couldn't do it and you need to grow it. It's more like they just, they just didn't want to accept what God could be doing. They weren't aware of their need enough to ask for God to be able to step mm. in. But here is a man who's willing to put himself on the line, to put himself out there, to recognize who Jesus is, and to ask him for the assistance to make him well.
to Real Faith. You're listening to Faith FM Radio, and uh, I'm Robbie. This is my co-host, Katie, and we're, we're just following the story of Jesus are, entering Jericho. He's just met blind Bartimaeus on the road, and he's actually healed this man yeah. of his impairment. Now, if you've got questions on this or any other Bible topic, if you've got some yearning, burning questions that you want to know some answers to, we'd encourage you to call in with your questions or text in. And uh, Katie, can you tell us how they can do that? Absolutely. So if you have questions for this Bible study or the radio in general, you can call in on 1-800-FAITH-FM. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or you can text. And if you have a question, please text in. It's 491 or alternatively, you can jump onto Facebook and you can send us a direct message on Faith FM Australia. If you look up that, you'll find our Facebook there. Awesome. So we'd love to hear from you. We've got a portion at the end of the show dedicated to try and answer questions that come in. We so do, we really we encourage you. We want to hear your questions. Jump in and make a comment. Make a question, jump in there. And also, if you're interested in some resources, you can contact us in that and we'll try and hook you up with a local we church or some, some reading material, etc. So we're going to jump right back into this encounter Let's with Jesus. So I'm super excited. So Let's do it. We've, we've gone through the first encounter. 
Yes. Now, just imagine if you're the crowd, you've gone in and you, your world's just been turned upside down a little bit because you're thinking, no, no, this, this, this guy, this blind guy, he doesn't deserve to talk to Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is a well-known rabbi. Yeah. Why would Jesus want to spend time with him? That's exactly right. right. And how often do we play that game as people yes. thinking that we can pick and choose who is right to hear from God mm. and who is not? But here we have an example where the crowd said, this person is unworthy. They deemed them not good enough to mm. talk to Jesus. And here Jesus commands those very people who were keeping him away from Christ. He says, now you, you go get the man, you bring him here. And then he performs a miracle in front of the whole crowd. Huge. What a huge lesson to this crowd. And it says that they marveled, right? Like, they marveled, yeah. They praised God, it said. That's right. So they, they've responded in a different way, and God has shown them through this a different method. Now, it makes sense to me. This makes sense to me, right? It yeah. makes sense that God would be a God who cares for the oppressed. Mm. Jesus said when he came and started his ministry, he said, I have come to loose the bonds of slavery, to mm. set the captives free, to heal the lame and the sick. Like this makes so much sense to me. God is healing the oppressed. He came to rescue the victims. But we're going to flip this on its head for a moment because we're about to encounter a story Ooh. where Jesus is not dealing with the person who's oppressed, but he's dealing with somebody who's oppressing others. Oh, how will Jesus interact with them? That's exactly the question that's mm. on my mind. So let's keep reading. Let's now read. this this section is power packed. It's it's like chock full of information. It's 10 verses. So we're going to go through that and if you feel the need, feel free to jump in, Katie, but we'll start do. off with Luke 19 verse 1 and I'll just interrupt you when I want to make a point if Sounds you haven't good. already. So while this is a different chapter, it literally follows directly on from the story at the end of chapter 18 of Luke that we just read. So Luke chapter 19, verse one, we read, then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And so he sought to see who Jesus was. Okay, pause, pause, pause. I can't, I can't wait anymore. Okay. Okay, who, what's this dude's name? Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, oh, first of all, man. What a weird name. But second of all, it tells us some very interesting things it about them. It does. It's them. actually quite detailed. It's saying he's a... So what were those things? One, he's a tax collector, but not just any tax collector. He's a chief tax collector, and he was rich. What okay. A, what a contrast to blind Bartimaeus we just saw who would have been poor. I know, right? Yeah. It's crazy. So yeah, very specific detail. Very specific. So you've got a blind beggar versus... This person who's rich, a tax collector, and a chief tax collector. Now, here's a question, Katie. How did the people feel about tax collectors? Oh, from my understanding, um, the the Jews were not a, were not a fan, not a fan of the tax. Collectors. And why would that be? Well, you know, they were living with the Roman um, occupation. Occupation, yeah, ruling over Jerusalem and their other surrounding towns and cities, and they had to pay taxes, they had to pay money That's to right. Rome. Now, how many people feel good about taxes ever? Oh, not at all. And Rome was known for having extravagant taxes, like That's right. robbery, really, of what they were expecting of the people. And I guess not only did they not like tax collectors, but these were Jewish people working for Rome. Okay. who were employed as tax collectors. So it's like, what would you think of that? Oh, I would think that these are the worst scum on the planet, right? Like put yeah. yourself in a position of you are an Israelite. 
Yes. You live in, in, in the, the surrounds of Judah, the nation of, of Israel at this time, and you're in a place where you no longer have the freedom as a nation to rule your own people the way that you have decided to do it. Your legal system is subject to their legal system. Yeah. They're an invading army. They've taken over. They don't appreciate or agree with your customs. They don't appreciate or, or agree with your worldview, your faith. Yeah. They're actually impeding your ability to do the very things that God has told your people to do. Mm. And there was a lot of animosity. Hates. And I'll just imagine this. So you're in this position where you've got this oppressive group of people who are coming in and taking all that you have. You're having a struggle to even feed your family. Yeah. To meet ends and to have life go on the way it needs to. Mm. And then you've got one of your own people who in the midst of that oppression abandons you and then goes and sides with the enemy and then becomes somebody who not only sides with the enemy. So Zacchaeus has a few things yeah. against him. Number one, he's a sellout. Yeah. He's sold say, out he to the like Romans. He's a traitor, you know? Like. That's exactly right. He's a traitor to his people and his religion. Yeah. Totally. Secondly, he's not just a traitor. He's also a specific kind of traitor. He's actually the person who's going from the enemy and taking the, the money from his own mm. people. Yeah. So he's not only he's actively. That's exactly right. Involved. So that's yeah. like your neighbor going out, joining the enemy, and then come back and taking your money away from you unlawfully. And taking it back to your enemy. And not only that, he's so good at what he does. He's rich. That yeah. he's the chief yeah. of the tax collectors. He gets promoted to a, to a leadership role, and he's rich. Now here's a question. How did he get rich? Whose money is, come, is he padding his pockets with? It's come from his own people. It's come from his people. Now, they can't ask questions. How much did you tax me? There's no legal system in place no. that's saying, oh, it's only going to be X amount of percent. No, no, no. If he's rich, he's getting rich because he's taking extra cream off the top. Yeah. Some for me, some for Rome. That's exactly right. So this would have been a very hated man, right? Oh, absolutely. I just imagine, like, yeah, people wouldn't have, wouldn't have liked him when they saw him, like, walking down the street. Like, and not just, yeah, just eyeing him down, like, you're the traitor. Like, we have to pay to you, you know? And sometimes we think in, in, our, in our Western context that many of us are living in, perhaps it's a little cushier yeah. for some of us than, than, than we might, you know, recognize most of the time. We might fail to remember that in the midst of this, one of Jesus' own disciples was a zealot, meaning that he was someone who believed that taking the kingdom back by force was okay. Was okay. Yeah. And this is one of the major paradigms in the groups of people mm. in Palestine at the time. And these are people who are willing to use violence to, to try and free themselves, right? So you've got, you've got a mishmash of, of, a, of a system here. This is not a pretty little mm. happy suburb. And we know Matthew, who was a disciple, he was a tax collector himself as well. So you just think, what kind of group dynamic was Jesus thinking of when he chose these people? That's right. He oh, picked this, a rough crowd. He did. He did. But um, that's probably a study for a whole nother time. It's interesting, though, the people that Jesus chose. And here we have Zacchaeus. That's right. Okay, so let's keep reading. Let's find out a little bit more about Zacchaeus. So he's living in a, you know, a much rougher crowd than we might have thought. And let's keep finding out. Okay, verse 3 of chapter 19 of Luke. And he sought to see Jesus. Oh, hold on. And he sought to see Jesus, who... He sought to see who Jesus was. He was. Sorry, I'm reading a bit back to front today. And he sought to see who Jesus was, thank you, but could not because the crowd, for he was of a short stature. Okay, now most of the time when people read this, they say things like, oh... 
Oh, little Zacchaeus, he couldn't he couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd. Do you know oh. the song Zacchaeus? Yeah, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? Now there's there's validity to that to some level, but let's take this a little bit further. Put yourself in the shoes of of real life, gritty real life. Yeah. If you've got a person who's stealing from you and stopping you from being able to eat, who's a traitor to your nation, a traitor to your faith, a traitor to your people yeah. and your race, how do you think he would have been treated? Not just like, oh man, here comes Zacchaeus, he's a bad guy. No, no. You're a short person mm. who's hated by the people. And these are people, some of whom are willing to use violence, violence. to achieve their means for freedom. And if he were to go into a crowd as a small person, guess what? When you're in a crowd, you're not very visible, are you? No, not at all. And as a short person, he's less visible. Yeah. It's very easy in that kind of place for violence to happen mm. and for no one to be held accountable for what's going on. Now, we're, this area was known for having riots happen, right? Yeah. <laughs> Israel was known for having political unrest. Oh, big time. This would have been the perfect time. For you in a crowd, if you were a zealot, to see Zacchaeus and go... Take the opportunity. Well, let's just get a shank and let's get you, right? Yeah. And we just don't... We fail to see that in the story, but it's so real. Yeah. He could very easily have lost his life in the crowd. It wouldn't be a safe place no, for him. not at all. But yet, he wants to see Jesus. He does. And so he's let's willing find to out. risk that in order to see Jesus. So let's keep reading from verse 4. Let's see. Verse 4. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must come and stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. All right. There's so much going on in here. It's Lots so hard not to jump in. The you know, sometimes we, we, <laughs> we read a story and we just breeze over it. But when you take the time to stop and, and think about why, why did Luke write these words in this way? Mm. There's so much depth. Oh, there's so much to be said. What sticks out to you, Katie? Anything jumping out at you that you want to mention? Yeah, like it's interesting he climbs a sycamore tree. It's not just a tree. Like why a sycamore tree? Why is that significant? That's a great question. Yeah. And it is. That was a good leading question. You've led me on oh, to great. answer the question. So... Why would he say sycamore tree? It could have been any old tree. And what relevance does it have? I don't know. What do you know? Well, here we go. We're going to get into some Bible history. So the ancient Jewish writings, the rabbis okay. or the teachers, they actually had the Old Testament. Yes. They had the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They had the, the writings and the prophets, mm -hmm. the rest of the Old Testament. Often when it's compiled, it's called the Tanakh. Yep. But they also had these other writings that were not in the Bible. We would call those extra biblical writings. Yes. And these writings were the teachings of the rabbis. Some of these things were, were laws, and some yep. of these things were commentaries to explain Scripture, right? Okay. And so you have the Talmud, and you have the Mishnas. Mishnas. And so this actually comes from the Bhava Batra, which is one of the Talmudic writings, and this comes from Mishnah number seven. Now check this out. This is gonna tell us a little bit of the context about why it's significant enough to write that it was a sycamore, sycamore tree. tree. Mm -hmm. So according to this Mishnah, it says that trees were not allowed to be planted inside the city gates. Really? That's right. Wow. So we might think we need some green spaces. Yes. Let's make sure that we have a central park to keep New York looking okay and healthy. This is a great thing. Yes. But in their context, trees were not allowed to be planted in the city. In fact, if a tree had been in the city gate, they would chop it down 
And if it had been there before the city was put in, they would pay the person (laughs) whose tree they had to chop down because it wasn't allowed to be in the city. Yeah. And to the point where if you planted one, they would chop it down and not reimburse you. Yeah. Well, there you go. So there were two types of trees, right? Generally, two broad genres. One of those would be planted at least 25 cubits outside of town. Now, how long is a cubit? That's a weird thing. Do you know what? This is pop quiz time. Oh, I don't know the, the measurement translation. So a cubit would be like the length of your, 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 the tip of your middle finger to your elbow from memory, okay. which is about a foot and a half. And um, so, it's, so it's roughly half a meter. Yeah. So for, for argument's sake, we'll say half a meter. So this is about 12 meters outside of town before you get to the first tree. But guess what? A sycamore tree had to be planted specifically. Sycamore and carob trees had to be planted twice as far from town. So when it says that Zacchaeus ran ahead and went to a sycamore tree, this means, because it says Jesus had already entered the city, that wherever Jesus was, wherever this crowd was that Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus because of, he decides to pick up his skirts, so to speak, and to run through the other side of the town all the way outside the gates, past the first lot of trees to the second lot of trees to find a sycamore at least 20 to 25 meters outside the city gate and to go there and then begin to climb to sit in a branch where he could see above the crowd and be safe in a position where he could see Jesus when he walked out. This seems very thought out. It wasn't like a... You know, he's he's had thought and consideration over wanting to see Jesus. That's right. He had some sort of knowledge of Jesus to want so desperately to see this man. Perhaps he had heard that he had healed blind Bartimaeus. Perhaps he had heard that Jesus had chosen a tax collector Maybe. to be one of his closest followers. So we're going to find out more about this after this next break. Spoke. 
That was Audrey Assad, New Every Morning. You're listening to Faith FM Radio, and we're back with Real Faith with Robbie and Katie. And we're just looking at the story of Zacchaeus we and are. how he encounters Jesus. And we're just about to get to the, the exciting bits. We've just read that Zacchaeus has encountered Jesus. Now, if you've got any questions or you'd like to ring in, you can call in at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or text any questions into 491 So let's keep, let's jump right back into yeah, it. So go. we've just read that Zacchaeus has run all the way through town. He's run outside the town. He's climbed up a tree that's at least 20 meters outside of the city gates, and he's waited for Jesus. Now, Jesus has walked all the way through the city. The city. He's come out the other side, and he has stopped 20-odd-plus meters outside of the city, where exactly where Zacchaeus is, in the tree, and he yeah. stops and he has a conversation. Now, there is so much in that that was worth unpacking. Absolutely. Whew. Where I do love, you start? Oh, I know. But I just love that um, no one is unseen by Jesus, you know. Um, last week, we looked at the woman at the well who Jesus went out of the way for to talk with. And here we see, you know, he's stopping at the tree. He could easily just keep on walking and, you know, Zacchaeus could just see him from overhead. But no, he stops and he talks with him. That's right. And it gets even better than that, Katie, because the reality is in the Middle East, for somebody of his prestige, right? So these people knew him. Jesus was, was known enough that the blind man who's begging at the front of the city gates calls out, knows his name. The crowd that's coming says, hey, it's Jesus of Nazareth. Not just any Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth that everybody seems to have heard of. He's got a reputation. He's got a reputation. He's a well-known, up-and-coming rabbi, so to speak. Mm. They've heard of his miracles. They've heard of his teachings. They've heard of his ability, perhaps, to refute the other religious leaders of the day, of his boldness, etc., and they've heard of his healing abilities. They've just seen a miracle. Here's a man who comes in. Now, let me ask you a question. If you had a famous person come into your town, would you invite them over for dinner? Oh, I'd probably be a bit scared to, but you sure, would. why not? <laughs> you would, but not in this culture, no. right? So if the Queen of England came to Australia, oh. for example, now I'm American, so I don't get that. So I'm using this illustration, so hopefully everyone who's listening can understand. But if the Queen of England came into town, where would you expect her to stay? Oh, I don't know, one of the Crown Plazas or with the Prime Minister or something like that. That's right. She would be greeted at the airport with limousines, with a guard, and she would be invited into the best that Australia has to offer. She'd be given the best food, the best Mm -hmm. accommodation, the most prestigious people would greet her. She'd probably have songs sung to her by famous Australian (laughs) artists, right? Yep. The same thing was expected in the Middle East in terms of taking care of foreigners. Now, here's a stranger coming in who is well-known. His name is Jesus Jesus. of Nazareth. He's a well-known rabbi. And when he comes in and he's healing people, it is very, very likely that he would have been given, you know, the royal treatment, so to speak, that somebody would have been trying to invite him into his home. Jesus is here. Expecting him to go to a rabbi's home. That's right. Because when someone of high regard. That's exactly right. Because that's what they would do. Yeah. Yeah. And that expectation would be there. Now, Jesus does something incredibly rude in the culture. He invites himself. He walks into the city. Yeah. And he goes right out the other side. Mm. He doesn't stop. He doesn't accept any invitation invitation to come home. Now, check this out. He goes all the way through the town, walks out the other side. 
this is this is not acceptable in this culture, yeah. right? It's very likely that he would have had invitation to come to prestigious homes. Mm. We see him do that in other places in the New we Testament. We do, we do. Simon the Pharisee's house, yeah. right? So we we have these examples throughout Scripture where Jesus does this, but not in Jericho. No. Now, why not in Jericho? I believe this is because he was walking through Jericho because he knew where Zacchaeus was. He was wanting to see Zacchaeus. Not only is Jesus in a position where he notices these people, he was looking specifically for Zacchaeus. Now, when he goes and he sees Zacchaeus and he says, hey, hey, come down, bro. Get out of that tree, dude. Because I'm coming to your house today. That's not like me coming up to your, knocking on your door and saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to come over for dinner tonight. Yeah. No, no, no. That's like the Queen of England coming and saying, oh, no, no, I'm not going to stay at the Prime Minister's accommodation. Come over to your house, Katie. Talk I'm, about speechless, right? Exactly. Both for Zacchaeus, but the crowd as well. They're like, oh, he's inviting himself to his house? That's right. Because he's giving honor mm. and respect and a level of approval that nobody thinks is worthy of Zacchaeus. And let's be real, none of us would think it was worthy of Zacchaeus either. Yeah. We so often can, can forget that we would probably act the same way. Mm. And the crowd is not only like flabbergasted, but they're like, what's going on here? Okay, yeah. uh, hold on a second. And then they start grumbling. Mm. Hey, this, this Jesus guy, he's just rejected all of us. And he's chosen to go to the house of the man who is a traitor to our country who is making himself rich off of our slave labor, essentially. And they they label him like he's a sinner. Yeah. Yeah. They say, this is a a bad guy. Mm -hmm. What are you doing, Jesus? Something is incredibly wrong with you. What are you doing? But Jesus does something here that is so profound because Zacchaeus is not oppressed. No. Zacchaeus is an oppressor. Yeah. And we sometimes find this so hard, but I find this to be one of the most encouraging and hopeful things because Jesus didn't just come to save the oppressed, and I am so grateful he did, mm. but he also came to save the oppressor That's who true. is willing to turn to him, Yeah, which means there's hope for those of us who have wronged others. Yes. And let's be real. Is that true of everybody? We all have, yeah, in some shape or form. That's right. For sure. I love there's a, there's a, a poem that I've, I've heard that says there are no perfect victims or villains. Yeah, wow. And there's a uh, one of my one of my favorite books of recent is uh, the Gulag Archipelago by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, a Russian author who wrote about the the travesties that took place in the USSR and the labor camps, yeah, the human atrocities. And he oh. wrote this amazing quote where he said, "The line that draws, the line that cuts between good and evil, runs through the middle of every human heart." Wow, yeah. We all have been guilty of oppression in some shape or form towards others. And what good news that Jesus chooses to reject all of the other invitations and to come to Zacchaeus, the oppressor's house, and give him a chance to repent, which means to turn from his wicked ways and to turn to Jesus. What hope this story gives to everyone. So powerful. So powerful. All right, let's read the rest of the story. Let's go. I think we're up to verse 8 of Luke 19. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I'll restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because 
He also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Woo! Man, that is the point of the story. What does he say? He's come to seek and to save those who are lost. That's worth saying one more time. Jesus came to seek, seek and, and to, to save, save that which was lost. Yeah. I love this. This is the point. We read through the story and we see Jesus coming and healing and saving a poor man who is oppressed namely blind Bartimaeus. And then he goes into the town and he walks through the town with intention yeah. because he's about to prove a point here. He's about to prove the point that Jesus did not just come for the oppressed, but he also came to set the oppressor to repentance and yeah. salvation also. Now this, this begs a serious question. Does that mean that Jesus is okay with sin? Is yeah. Jesus okay with Valid oppression? question. Well, I don't think answer? so, no. The answer is a definite no. Because notice what happens here. He says this invitation to Zacchaeus. Notice Zacchaeus' response. How does he respond? He responds in repentance. Repentance. And he chooses to change the actions of what he has formerly been doing, where he's like, I will pay back anyone who I have you know, mistreated fourfold. And he gives half of his possessions to the to poor. The poor. Yeah. What a symbol, right? He's not saved because he gave his possessions up. Yeah. It's because he has just accepted God's grace and salvation that he now turns and does these good works. We see this as the model throughout the New Testament. I love this because in the testimony we had with Caitlin earlier and in the story here of Zacchaeus, we see that when you have encountered Christ, you can't remain the same. You distinctly change. You turn to Jesus. You turn away from previous you know, actions and behavior, you turn, you change, you're restored. And it's not even by his own, by his own ability. God gives him the grace to do this. Absolutely. But his response is one of, I accept what you have done, Jesus, and now my life will never be the same. This is Matthew Mole, you and your crown. Cries out its love for you. The world confides in the love that hides between the two. And I know I'm not afraid to call this home. And I know that you aren't too. And you.
direction you're leading It's you who knows the truth and the meaning of life So we're protected and leading Don't be heeding these lies proceeding through every direction you're leading It's you who knows the truth and the meaning of life So we're protected and leading on you Fall down in the light, in the blinding light And you, your crown Boast over me, my enemy For my father is the victor Your darkness only makes him brighter He'll make me more than a conqueror When I fall, I will rise again 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 do not glow over me, my enemy Disappointments push me deeper Into dependence on my father I hold on to him, my helper When I fall, I will rise again 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 Do not rejoice over me, my enemy Every trial makes me stronger Every failure makes me wiser As he refines me in the fire When I fall, I will rise again 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 Welcome back to Real Faith. This is Robbie and Katie. You're listening to Faith FM Radio. And uh, we've just had a call in with a question from uh, Greg, I believe, and we're going to get to that in a moment. We are. But we're just going to wrap up our story here and draw some application points before we get into the question of the day. Let's do it. So we've just discovered the rest of the story, and the rest of the story has highlighted for us Zacchaeus' response. Yeah. And so what was that response, Katie? 
his life is transformed from his encounter with Jesus, where he goes from being, I guess you could say, an oppressor to actually being someone that's helping others and wanting to give to the poor and um, make amends for the things that he has done that are wrong. That's right. This is this is evidence of repentance. A one eighty turn. He has turned to Jesus. Yeah. He has seen the love and the compassion and the grace that Christ has offered to him as a person, mm. and he has seen through his whole past, his whole experience, all the things that he's probably tried to gain his significance and value from, seen that they are not valuable, and now has actually turned to the one who can give real security. Yeah, and that's Jesus. And I love it. Jesus ends with this last line where he says, hey, this man too is a son of Abraham. In other words, what's what's he saying there? Why, why would he associate him with Abraham? Well, back then they, they believed Abraham was, you know, one of their fathers of their faith and he for sure was saved. And, you know, he's identifying or connecting Zacchaeus with him. For sure. They've actually... They're, they've equated him essentially with a dog, right? Like he's yeah. he's no longer part of the people. He's yeah. a sinner is the word that they use. He's he's a traitor. He's not our family. Yeah. And how often have we had or seen those experiences around us where somebody is ostracized as the black sheep because they don't fit, fit. right? And here's a man who doesn't fit. And what we would see is that He's, he's where he is because he deserves that, Yeah. right? He has done wrong things, but Jesus sees through that. Mm. You know, behind every hurt person There's is a, a hurt, hurt person, person, right? Absolutely. Because hurt people, hurt people, hurt people, hurt people. Yeah. And so here's a man who we don't know the whole backstory of. And often when people move into things that are oppressive towards others, they've done that because something has triggered that. Now, that doesn't justify their no, behavior. No. But it helps us to put ourselves in someone else's moccasins, so to speak, or shoes, and we can understand where they're coming from a bit and see that they're not perfect people. They've been broken, too, and that everybody deserves a chance at grace. And I love that Jesus is trying to rewire everyone else to see that he has come for everyone, not a specific type of people, but he has come for, as we've we've shared um, this afternoon, both the oppressor and also the oppressed he's come for you and he's come for me um yeah it's yeah a really awesome contrast to see how jesus interacts with such a different group um of people it's beautiful it's absolutely beautiful so what can we draw out of this story Mm. for our own practical lives before we move on to the question of the day what are your take-homes out of this katie yeah what are my take-homes i for me it's just a I think particularly looking at these two characters and seeing the contrast between them that, you know, Jesus has come for everyone as we've reiterated, you know, whatever your, you know, your history, your background is, he has come for everyone. And it's a reminder for me to not be like the crowd who are judging, who are thinking Jesus shouldn't be going here. He shouldn't be going after them. Um, and, you know, it's my desire to not be like the crowd and to, in fact, be more like Jesus, who actually sees the potential and sees these people for who they are and they're people that he's come to seek and to save. Beautiful. Beautiful. What about you? What are some of your take homes? So I agree with you there. I think that Jesus came to save both the oppressed and the oppressor, everyone mm. who is willing to be saved. And I love it because Jesus 
says essentially the dysfunction of your past does not have to define your future. Yeah, true. Bring your past to Jesus and he will redeem you and he can bring good out of even the dark places in mm. your life. Yeah. And I love that. Something else that I love about this is that the gospel can actually effectively reach both the rich and the poor. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. When, when... Universal. That's right. Sometimes people think it, who are involved in church ministry were tempted to think that, oh man, it's really hard to reach rich people or, yeah. oh, it's really hard to reach poor people. Or, yeah, I've heard that said. <laughs> that's right. And we make excuses that God's, you know, it's too hard to save them. But Jesus himself prior to it said it's, it's impossible with men, but it's not impossible with Amen. God. And here we see him demonstrate that practically right after that story. The last couple of things that I take out of this is that sometimes, and this is a hard one, sometimes we as followers of Jesus can be the actual obstacles in the path of other people getting mm. to Jesus. Yeah. Now that's a hard one. Because when I look at my life, I think, have I done that? Yeah. And the truth is, there are times when I certainly have. Yeah. And those are just the things I'm aware of. So this tells us that if we're followers of Jesus, we need to be in a position where we are working to bring people to him. We're, you know, we're chopping down the trees, so yeah. to speak, to, to open up the view so they can see Jesus clearly. Yeah. And it's a reminder, I think, for me, um, you know, I love the contrast because we see this blind man comes to Jesus. He comes to him. He's calling out to him. And so there's times in life we need to come to Jesus ourselves. But we also see in the story of Zacchaeus, Jesus comes to him. Amen. So we also see oh, preach this it. other juxtaposition that while we are called to step out in faith like this blind man, we also see that Jesus comes to us in our deepest need. That's right. And it's just a really cool contrast. You can't say, oh, Jesus only comes to me. Uh, but you can't, you know, you can't also say, oh, it's always me that's going to Jesus. Like we actually see there's a... Um, there's, I guess, a reaching out on both sides. That's it. And the last thing that I'd say as an application out of this is that it's it's costly yeah. to bring people to Jesus. Sometimes we think, oh, you know, it's not going to cost me anything. But it actually is a costly thing. Mm. I've said this to people before. If you really want to see someone come to Jesus, it's going to cost you to, to, to help be a part of that process. It's going to yeah. cost you time. Yeah. It's going to cost you emotional energy. It may cost you resources to help yeah. someone. But Jesus stopped at nothing. He gave his own life for the sake of seeking so and saving true. the lost. And I believe that as a Christian, that's my calling. And anyone else who says mm. that, it's yours. And I think building upon that, um, not only is the, can there be a cost for us when we're you know, God's hands and feet, but if we're choosing, if we're like Zacchaeus and we're choosing, do I want to give my heart to Jesus? Am I willing to let go of the things that have previously been keeping me you know, from him or keeping me from giving my life to him. And we're actually called to surrender those things and how God can call, use those things now to actually bless others. It's really cool. So if you're out there and you're listening and you're thinking to yourself, man, I've, I've gone too far. I've done too many things. I've hurt too many people. It's not. Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> Stop believing that because Jesus says, come to me yeah. right now. Surrender your past. Mm. Surrender your present. Amen. And I'll lead your future. And if that's you right now, I encourage you to say that prayer to Jesus and let him in. And if you're in a position where you, you as a Christian have been, have been, you can see the ways where you've been getting in the road of other people meeting Jesus, I just invite you to talk to God about that, confess that, and just ask him to lead you to be assisting him in the salvation yeah. of others. Absolutely. So we're going to go to 
a little bit of question of the day now. Yeah. All right. So I'm super excited because we got a question in from Greg. Now, I'm just going to read this question out if I can get the phone working here. I'm not real good at these things. But the question is regarding what's commonly referred to as the millennium. Now, what? a mil- What's millennium? So the millennium is a period of a thousand years. The word millennium doesn't actually appear in the Bible anywhere. It's a Latin word that means 1,000 years. Okay. Now this specific millennium that's being spoken about is in this question here. So it says, hi, Real Faith team, can you please explain why Jesus has ordained a thousand year rule with believers to rule over the current earth when he returns? Is it true that the new heaven and the renewed earth will come to pass after this millennial reign? And if so, why is this necessary? Oh, great now, question. It's a great question. Yeah. Now, we're not going to have time to get into all the nitty gritty, so I'm going to try and give a fly overview. But I want to encourage you, Greg, to jump on and to our Facebook page yes. and just ask for some resources so that we can try and get something to you and give you a bit more detail to cover the topic in more depth. But this comes from a passage in Revelation chapter 20. Okay. Now, so we're just going to read a little bit of that here and go through a couple of quick references for what's going on in this passage. So in Revelation 20, verse 4, it says, I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Okay. Okay. Point number one. Does it say where they reigned with Christ? No, we just know it's with Christ. Okay. So it doesn't say the location. No. So in order to find the location of where it is that these saints, right? Now that's just a term for the faithful followers of Jesus throughout all the ages. So this would be Old Testament, New Testament, past that to Mm -hmm. our time, people who have responded to God's call. Yes. Right? So these are the saved is another word for the saints. It says that Jesus during this millennial period is going to have thrones yeah, and that the saints are going to be seated on them, seated on them and reigning with him. Now this begs some questions. First of all, yeah, where is this? Mm. When is this? Yes. And why? Why? Right? Three good questions. So when, where, why? In the context here, let's address the when first, okay. because I think this is an, this is helpful. Yeah. So in the chrono, in the chronology of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 19, just before this, we hear a description of Jesus's second coming, which we're all waiting for. Amen. So Jesus is coming, and it's described in Revelation 19. Now, there's a number of things that take place when Jesus comes, and we'll talk about what those are in a moment. Yes. But this happens, this thousand years begins at the second coming of Jesus. Okay. Okay, so point number one, the thousand years starts when Jesus returns. And we can see that in Revelation 19. That's right. We can see that in Revelation 19 into Revelation 20. Now, it says a few things that are going to happen at that period. So this is the so this is what's going to happen during this millennial period. So first of all, Jesus comes back. Now, to answer where this is taking place, we have to understand where is Jesus coming from and yeah. what does he do yeah. in the second coming. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16 and 17 is going to give us a description of that. Have you got that for I do. Us, Katie? Do you want me to read it? Yes, please. Verse 16 and 17. Okay. Actually, well, I'll read 15 to 17. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 15 to 17 and it says for this we say to you by the word of the lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the lord will by no means precede those who are asleep 
And we know in scripture, Jesus refers to death as a sleep. So it's referring to... He's saying we're not going to go to heaven before the people who've already died. That's right. And then he's going to describe when everybody goes. Absolutely. So when do we go to heaven? Great question. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will be raised first. Okay, good. Okay. Keep going. Verse 17, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Okay, excellent. So this is describing also the second coming of Jesus. So this parallels Revelation 19. Mm. So what happens when Jesus returns? Yeah, well, we see that there's a resurrection of people who have died. Um, Sorry, I'm just getting a phone call there on the phone with the text message. That's all right. So, yeah, we see a resurrection of those who have... um, The saved. Who are saved, have died, they're raised. And we actually, we meet Christ in the air, it says. Okay, so two points here. When Jesus comes, there's a number of things that happen. Maybe four or five in Scripture. So just let's summarize those. First of all, it says here, the saved who have already died are resurrected and meet Jesus where? In the air. In the air, in the clouds. Then it says that the saved who are alive on the earth will also be raised and meet Jesus where? In the air. In the air. So everyone meets Jesus at the same time. Yes. And not on the earth. Yeah. Now this is significant. It also tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 51 through 54 yes. that it says in, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet describing the same yeah. scene, it says that the dead will be raised and we who are alive will be changed. Yeah. We who are mortal will put on immortality, etc. Mm-hmm. So this happens at the start of the millennium. It also tells us that the wicked who are alive on the earth will be destroyed. That's in Revelation 19. And then it continues to tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, what will be happening. So first of all, the thousand years starts at the second coming of yeah. Jesus. Second of all, what happens then is that we meet Jesus in the air, the saved who are resurrected and the saved who are alive. And what will we be doing for this thousand years? Now notice, if we met Jesus in the air and there's no talk of the earth, it actually indicates that we're going to be with Jesus in heaven. Yeah, Because in Revelation chapter 20, it actually goes on at the end of the millennium to say what will happen. And it describes that the city of God will actually be brought down to the earth with the saints or the saved inside of it. So it's interting. We're not staying in heaven permanently. But, but for we, a thousand but years. But for a thousand years. That's exactly right. We return to the earth. Okay, so First Corinthians chapter six, verses one through three says what will be happening yes. during that thousand year period. Now here's a question. If the wicked who are alive have been have died when Jesus comes, it says they, that they are destroyed by the, yes. the word of his mouth. Yeah. Right? So there's no one left alive on the earth. No. The resurrected righteous, the 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 righteous who have been what's called translated or glorified, given new bodies are now with Jesus in the clouds going to heaven. heaven. There's no one left on the earth except the devil and the fallen angels or the demons, you might call them. And they're on the earth for this thousand-year period. It tells us that in verses 1 through 3. But what's going on? Because we're running out of time here. So what's going on is that it says that the saints will be involved in judgment. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Hmm. Didn't know that, did you? And if the world will be judged by you, 
Are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? And then verse 3, he says, Do you not know that we, the saints, the saved, shall judge angels? How much more than the things that pertain to this life? So when we look at this, it describes that there's this scene of thrones. Mm. Now, a throne is a place where a king would make judgment. Yeah. And it says that the saints will be involved in judgment. So this is going okay. Are we running out of time here, guys? We're running out of time, so we're going to have to cut it. Is this our last goodbye section? Oh, goodness. Oh, no. Okay, we're all right. Sorry, having some technical things. Okay, so the saints are going to be involved in judgment, and this is a beautiful picture. It actually says that God is going to allow the saved to be involved in understanding Mm. the judgment of why there will be people who will be with God for eternity and those who will be destroyed in the judgment at the end of time. It then goes on to describe that the thousand years takes place, and at the end of that, it says that the wicked will be resurrected and that the judgment will take place, and then God will recreate the heavens and the earth. So if you've got more questions about that, I encourage you to write in, and we'll try and get you some resources. This is Fernando Ortega, Open My Lips. I will sing your praise forever. Open my lips, O Lord, I will sing your praise forever. A broken spirit and a contrite heart, these you will not despise. sing your praise forever. All right, welcome back to Faith FM Radio. You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Katie, and we've just kind of like had to do a whirlwind answer of what I would normally study over an hour. You could easily. I want to just encourage you, uh, Greg, particularly to check out, um, just contact us for some resources. And anyone else who's got questions, you can find out more at our Facebook page and we can get you a hold of some resources if you want to learn more. So it's been such a blessing to have everybody listening today. I've really enjoyed our time listening to Caitlin's uh, testimony and hearing how God is in the business of taking the oppressed and setting them free, but he's also in the business of rescuing those who are in the business of oppression. It's each of us. Because God desires for all people who are lost to be saved. And guess what? That's every person who's been born onto the planet. So I'd encourage you to come into our Facebook page to get some resources. If you want to make a decision day to day to follow Jesus or to learn more, come to our Facebook page and we'll put you in touch with some people or some resources to help you out. So thank you for calling in for Real Faith. It's It's been been great. great to have you. Catch up with us next week for our next installment of Real Faith. And just remember that real faith is lived lived faith. faith.